The Return to Snakeland podcast contains descriptions of sexual assault, suicide, and murder. If you feel there is any possibility of triggering, please listen with caution. This is episode eight, the continuation and conclusion of the alternate history of Kenmore, New York in the 1980s. Record stores in, in Kenmore yes. in, the, in 85, 86, um, two of them loomed very large. The first one was actually in Kenmore proper. It was called the Record Mine, and that guy only sold used records. And it was owned and run by a guy named Dave Olka. And we used to call him Jim because he looked just like the bearded Jim Morrison on, on the cover of L.A. Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, later, when he dropped the weight and the beard, he didn't resemble Jim at all. Um, uh, but he, he was really important to us because he wasn't a price gouger. Okay. His records were all usually four bucks or less. And the two record sets were like seven or eight. And considering it was all used trade-ins, the selection was – it was really great. I mean, I look at this list I made – and I'm like, these are amazing records. And I bought them all used for like four bucks a piece. I'm going to give it to you right now. All right. And, uh, and a big thank you and a rest in peace to, uh, to Dave Olka for uh, selling me these because I own, <laughs> I own all of them still. Mm-hmm. So um, the first album by The Damned, uh, Raw Power by Iggy and the Stooges, uh, New York Dolls and Too Much Too Soon by the New York Dolls. Kick Out the Jams by the MC5. Classic. Can Your Heart Stand It by James Brown. The first four records by Patti Smith. Love Revisited by the band Love. Singles Going Steady by the Buzzcocks. And One Nation Under a Groove by Funkadelic. Most importantly, a cheap-looking two-record set by the Velvet Underground and Nico from Germany. It was uh, just a bizarre, just kind of amalgamation of like different songs off of different records. But somehow or another, it was actually really pleasant to listen to. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, it worked out, you know, that kind of thing. But there was a, a little scene television commercial for the record mine that featured members of the Kenmore band Green Jello. I think uh, probably most of you have heard of, at least, who went on a fame and fortune as the legally altered Green Jelly. They did that song, uh, Three Little Pigs, right. with the claymation video. But anyways, this this commercial with, with uh, Green Jello uh, is on YouTube, along Ooh. with everything else, you know, the destruction of Snakeland and, you know, other things. If you can, if, if you're interested, you can go looking for it. Green Jello was also on uh, The Gong Show, if you remember The Gong Show. So, they were on The Gong Show? I did not know that. They were on The Gong Show, but it was, it was after apparently, well, Chuck Barris wasn't doing it anymore. It was just some guy. And uh, I saw, I saw the, I saw the clip. They did uh, Rock and Roll Pumpkin, which is actually one of my 
one of the songs I remember uh, from that from that period when they were just very very strange. And they, of course, they got gonged in like a minute or whatever. <laughs> Those people have no taste, you know. So what are you going to do? But um, but they they opened for uh, the Ramones uh, when uh, the Ramones played. Um, uh, where was it? Buff State? Yeah, I think so. Our freshman year, uh, or I'm sorry, that must have been sophomore year. Anyway, there was there was the whole thing with the the rock and roll pumpkin and the famous one string bass and the Mister Softy song. It was just a lot of uh, a lot of big hits. So yeah, was was the record mine still around, or had that gone into other hands by the time you came in? think it might have been around um not entirely certain um because i by time i really started getting into music i don't think it was but i remember it being mm-hmm. there and then by time i started really going shopping for uh records and and looking for music um mm-hmm. it, it wasn't around I, and then it popped back up again like in the 2000s Am I yeah sure? that it's 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 a, a different name and a different guy He's a real yeah, price. He's sure, a real price yeah. gouger. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But but anyways, um, yeah. You know, it all it all makes sense anyway because you know, like I know that place was was kind of going out of out of fashion because records were, and you know, when you were when you were in school, I know that CDs obviously had had come out, but also I mean, it was like the primary way that people were buying music, I believe, at that point. CDs and tapes. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot of tapes. A lot of tapes. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No. So, the, where we went for new records was not in Kenmore, but it was pretty much the only place to go. It was home of the hits. Oh yeah. It's easily the coolest record store in Buffalo. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it was a straight shot down the Elmwood Avenue bus, or if you were a bike rider, you could ride your bike over there. I don't know. I, I didn't know anybody who had a car. You know, I, I don't. I never thought of us as being like poor kids, but. None of us. Well, we had like one guy who had a car, but you know he always wanted gas money. So, fucking ass. Yeah, fuck that guy. Anyway, uh, it was in an old Victorian on the Elmwood Strip, and it had all the cool old punk reissues. Um, you know, like the stuff from like seventy seven, seventy eight that you know we were too young to get. Uh, the new indie rock records. Um, I remember specifically buying "Flip Your Wig" by Husker Du. Let it be by the replacements, and you know, mostly for the covers because I didn't know what was good, and uh, I got really lucky. And those were really, really nice. good records. That was nice. great. Uh, but, yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I was in Home of the Hits all the time, all the time. Oh, right on, right on. Every so, every weekend I could get there. Yeah, that's cool. It was it was kind of it was kind of dimly lit, you know, which kind of lent the place an air of a uh, seediness, you know, freaky, kind of like floors. Yeah, creaky floors, slanty floors. Yeah, totally. The clerks all knew their shit. You know, of course. I'm sure you remember different folks checking you out. You know, than that. You know, than I did. You know, at the time. You know, there was always people cycling through. But, but sometimes Jennifer, the owner, would uh, check out your purchases. And when I, I'm very proud of this. When I bought my copy of the Stooges Metallic KO, she <laughs> sighed and said, "Well." I guess we all have to buy it sometime. <laughs> and she obviously, she could have lost the sale, but, you know, she told me the truth. And, of course, I still bought it. So, you know, it was, it was, uh, was what needed to be done. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I so. know. I, I God, we used to go there all the time. Love that store. Buy tons of T-shirts, all sorts of yeah. all the T-shirts lying in the walls. Mm-hmm. It was the best. It was it was the best. I used to just scour that place. Now, 
can I ask you just real quickly, since we're talking Please. about music, what was your go-to to find out about music other than word of mouth? Did you read magazines? Did you, cause I was always mm-hmm. devouring, you know, like I, we had spin magazine, obviously or was Rolling Stone, um, right. but I was, I was right. always devouring magazines. Like what's the next big thing? What's, you know, who should I be listening for? You know? Sure. Sure. The, the only thing that I really utilized was spin. And what was, what was great about that was because, um, it, it, <laughs> it started in 1985. I mean, okay. I remember going into the, the, the drugstore and like going like, what is, what is this, you know, thing here? And, you know, just, you know, just went, went looking, went looking through it a little bit and it was incredible. I mean, at least, you know, for the, for the first the first few years, man, that was a really good magazine. They you know, really good, uh, you know, people writing about. So there was an underground column by uh, Byron Coley, who's, um, I don't know, he's just, he's, you know, he's kind of a big deal hipster, but he had great taste and he turned me on to the Minutemen and he turned me on to Chaos UK and like all this other stuff. It was, it was really great. It was really well written. It was, a, it was a great magazine for, for, a, for a while. So I was, I was getting a lot from Spin. But the only other place I got it from was WBNY. You know, All right. Whatever, but whatever see, WBNY play. was great, but they and they still to this day they don't fucking tell you who they just played. <laughs> like who was that band? Yeah, no, I mean, like now, now of course, you know, it's like there's there's all these weird ways to find out. But I mean, but back then, like if if that happened. I'd call and ask because I had because I had the phone number like nearby, like where I had the radio because the radio. I don't know if this was this was like it when when you were doing it. But, you know, it's like my my radio had to be in like one corner of the room and it had to have like the uh, antenna pointing in a certain direction or you couldn't hear it. And it was really, you know, if you did hear something good, then it's like, fuck it, I'm going to call. And usually they were pretty excited that anyone was listening. And I didn't find that out until later when uh, my buddy Doug was going to Buff State and he was, he was, you know, had a radio show and he loved it when people called in. He's like, you want to hear something? And he was like, it was great. And we used to just think we were bugging him, but that's, that wasn't the deal at all. That's cool. You know? Yeah. But that's where, that's pretty much where I got everything else, you know, squatting down by the radio, writing stuff down when I could, you know, right. but uh, yeah, it was fun. That's fun. This is 89.3 FM WQCC Queen City College Radio. Paid for by your student activity fee here at Queen City College. This is Sarah Flynn with In Like Flynn every Thursday night from midnight to 3 a.m. The request lines are now open, so give me a call if there's anything you want to hear. Okay, so, there's a show coming up at Queen City Seminary on Friday the 24th at 7 p.m. featuring Fallsville's favorite sons, the Ramrods, opening for the Trash Rock Kings, the Splat Cats. Tickets are five bucks at the door, three for some students. Oh, and don't forget to pick up the Splat Cats Five Big Ones EP, available at Needle Tracks, Hitsville, and maybe Record Theater, too, but I'm not sure. All right secret decoder ring you had to figure out what was out there and had to go looking for it you know of course someone gave you a tape or something like like, oh that's a good song you know but sure sure there was a lot to go through and it helped if someone would actually let you know where to where to aim your dollar for (laughs) oh totally yeah there was nothing worse back then 
than buying a bad record. Oh, or especially yeah. like a bad new record. It's yep. like nine bucks, ten bucks. Jesus Christ. And you get so like, excited because you'd be like, Oh, this band, oh, yeah. I like their last two albums, and you buy and be like, What is this? Like what yeah. what is this? I can't even like oh. enjoy these songs. Oh my god. I remember I bought some Circle Jerks record and I was like, <laughs> you know, fucking it was and it, it they they'd just gone metal. And you know, and don't get me wrong, that was that was interesting in some other cases, but with them it just it was shit. And I like basically like listened to it and I was the next day I was back at um yeah, it must have been home of the hits, you know, trading it in for store credit, you know. So <laughs> oh, bad news, man. <laughs> All right, anyways, uh, yeah, we'll move on to um talk about comics. Uh, in in eighty five eighty six, um, the uh, the only comic store that I knew of in Kenmore was the Collectors Inn. I don't know if there was more by the time you were you were there, Aaron. Yeah. Or, I, but basically, they played they played D and D there in addition to selling comics. So obviously, you know, they were or we hoped they were in league with Satan, but <laughs> they are still in operation to this day. So I really wanted the Return of Snakeland graphic novel for sale there, of course. And they blew me off three different times. So that is the end of any free advertising they are getting from me. <laughs> Go to Gutter Pop on Hurdle. It's awesome. Okay. Yeah, Here, Gutter I'm Pop's sorry. Yes. Gutter Pop's pretty amazing. I'm not going to lie. Um, so <laughs> I uh, I went to uh, – so it wasn't there when you were there. It was It's uh, Seeley and Kane's comic shop. Oh, it was on yeah. Kenmore uh, Avenue and Delaware Avenue. But before sure. that – it was part of the uh, Chuck Seeley sold his comics in a, a flea market. I think it was above like a gym or something like that. It wow. was like a, it was the second floor of this gym. No freaking way you would even know it was there. My friends say, "Oh, you got to go here." So I met, and this is Chuck Seeley is like like the Kenmore comic god for me. Cool. So he was just the guy who was, you know, he was a quintessential comic book guy, like from The Simpsons. But he was really, <laughs> very, very smart. Could read Greek. Could do. I mean, he just. Did, I mean, he was just. Wow. He he just do a lot. He just was very, very smart. And he just ran the comic book shop because he didn't want to have a full time job. He was like, I just want to do stuff I want to have fun with. So uh, unfortunately, that's where I heard about Return of Snake Line blog because when Chuck. Chuck Seeley passed away. Uh, he had a heart attack. Uh, one of my friends, we had a like a rally cry to go and keep that that's come or the the business still in uh, to keep going because sure. he he uh, willed everything to his employee, willed the whole store to his employee, and wow. uh, uh, unfortunately um, he didn't keep it going. But uh, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But that's yeah. what my friend told me about uh, your writing, uh, about Return to Snake Holy Land. Holy shit. That's yes. crazy. But, uh, wow. yeah, Chuck Seeley was amazing. We used to skip school, and we used to eat breakfast with him at the corner restaurant there. And uh, he'd be like, should oh, you guys nice. be in school? <laughs> and then we'd just hang out with him in the store for a bit, and then we'd go gallivanting with our comics. But, yeah, he was great. Sure. So, so, sure. Many, so many good memories with Chuck. Uh, collectors in. You know, I, I didn't really know those guys that well. Um, Chuck, you know, you're not gonna either. Yeah, so, yeah. Chuck, yeah. Chuck, uh, Chuck, uh, you know, was was it? You know, especially well, here's, my... here's here's to him. You know, rest in peace, oh, Chuck. That's awesome. Fantastic. No, really, really amazing here. That's yeah. great. Right, so, right. 
Yeah. So we got a couple good things out of the way with this podcast. We got a couple of uh, of, uh, of good and important fellas uh, saluted here. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't mind, if you could uh, talk a little bit, because I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely bowing to your uh, your knowledge on this one. Um, just the, the the best or the most important comics, like eighty five, eighty six. So uh, a lot of a lot of big things came out in eighty five, eighty six. Uh, most notably, eighty six was the two probably biggest change game changers in all of comic history was Frank Miller's um uh Batman uh, the Dark Knight Returns and then yeah. Alan Moore's The Watchmen. Um right. so right. if you've seen the movie it's okay but definitely mm-hmm. read the comic the the collection it's 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 still one of probably one of the better written comic books out there for, you know, a collection of comics. It's fantastic. Still holds up today. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a dark Knight returns kind of took the old 1960s Batman and changed him to this hard boiled, you know, story mm-hmm. in um, it, it completely altered. So those two ha- had become, uh, you know, tent poles in, in mm-hmm. comic book history and, and they've been sort of taken in and uh, tried to reimagine and redone a hundred times, but nothing can change when those came out that really, really changed uh, comic book history. Uh, mm-hmm. So shocking stuff and also fantastic stuff at the same time. Um, a couple others uh, was the very first number one of love and rockets from the yeah. horrendous brothers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, uh, characters like Maggie and Hopi, and mm-hmm. they're back then it was very different. They were like mm-hmm. Maggie was a mechanic and she was like fixing cars, spaceships, and stuff like that. And right, there was a lot more like overt, like fantasy elements to a yeah, lot of it. It wasn't them just going around and running into weird people and dealing with like strange yeah. situations, you know. So, right, right. Uh, but I wouldn't know about. Love and Rockets for quite a few years later. I mean, it just was kind of off my oh, radar. Same here. Same here. I didn't. Yeah. I, although I love love the series now. Um, yeah. I didn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't know about it. The only way, the only thing I would have known about was like, like how I knew of Tank Girl was basically just uh, illustrations, like of like covers and stuff. Sure. I never actually, you know, ended up reading them, and I, I don't really regret that with with Tank Girl, but. You know, I mean, just like Love and Rockets, it would have been really amazing to start reading it in 85 and then like seeing where it's come to today. Like the last couple uh, hardcover uh, Love and Rockets things, mostly dealing with um, Maggie and uh, who's who's been, you know, all the way through. But uh, this guy, Ray, and their and their romantic relationship. And um, it's amazing. It's, It's I mean, it's absolutely like. You know, amazing. I mean, I'm making it sound like some romantic thing, but it's really just like high art. It's great, great, right. great. Right. Uh, another one was Alan Moore in 1885 came up with the uh, first uh, Miracle Man mm. uh, comic, which was sort of a play off of Shazam. 
Um, mm. But he took this whole thing that this young guy, uh, Mickey Morin, was like just this guy. And one day he just remembered he was a superhero and he just had to say his, uh, what do you say, atomic backwards. And um, he would become Miracle Man. And um, huh. and, and it, it had this huge story arc in, in, in Alan Moore style. They just reprinted it recently, I think in the like, last 10 years. Um, and then uh, Neil Gaiman took over because Alan Moore was being difficult or something. I don't remember exactly, <laughs> but something to that nature. But it's brilliant. Sure. It's absolutely freaking brilliant. So if you have not re- read Miracle Man, you need to do that. Uh, another one, uh, very important, uh, was the Crisis on Infinite Earths from DC. So um, yeah. this was basically DC trying to like tidy up all the loose ends because. DC had so many different characters and they had so many different like stops and starts and different origin stories. And they basically said, all those are true, but they are in different, you know, like parallel (laughs) universes and they all have to coincide. And so there was this whole storyline about that. So, uh, most notably, obviously, um, uh, you had the death of Supergirl and the uh, death of, uh, the flash Barry Allen. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. That that happened during that. It was pretty shocking at the time. Um, it, right. Hard... I mean, I, I remember at that at that point, like when when you had characters die, like in a book, that it was it was still like a like a really big deal. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't like you know you know Phoenix in the X Men you know big deal, but it was still. Still yeah, really it was still yeah. shocking. And, oh, yeah. and, and you know, those were two big characters and people were pretty shocked by that. Um, hard to read, a uh, little convoluted in some points, but, mm. you know, it's still, you know, a, 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 something notable at that time. Another, um, actually, uh, Frank Miller uh, masterpiece is uh, his Born Again with uh, Daredevil. That's issues. Ah, uh, okay. Shoot. 27 to 231 where um the kingpin uh wilson fisk basically figures out who matt murdoch is uh, daredevil and he's just going to disassemble his life and it's um it's really hardcore like it's one of those things just like when i was younger reading this i'm like how much can they do to this guy like it was yeah. like just dragging someone through glass you know that's kind of thing so it was that sounds painful yeah oh it is pretty off yeah it's pretty awful yeah. so it's it's a worth a read uh they you okay. can you can get it in a collection called born again pretty good stuff also we had uh after the crisis of infinite earth uh they rebooted superman batman and wonder woman so uh we had um batman year one if you can get your hands on batman year one absolutely mm-hmm. worth I didn't read it for years because I was never a huge Batman fan. Batman Year One is fantastic. Needs to be read if you want to read a good, you know, comic book story. Uh, Art, everything is just so cool. Uh, The other one that uh, came out, um, which was I, I was, but I was very young at the time, was Man of Steel one by uh, David or John Byrne. Um, Hmm. A lot of people don't think this is that great. I think it's still a beautiful comic. I think encapsulated Superman perfectly for that time. And he's that symbol of hope. He's that symbol of, you know, the genuine, like good superhero. And 
right. but it's sort of reimagined and stuff like that in in more modern day stuff. So great stuff. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of cool books that came out during this time. Yeah, and uh, nothing. The the only one that came out that was kind of a flub that I I used to uh, collect was uh, Secret Wars Two, which was <laughs> yeah. pretty awful. Sure, Secret Wars One wasn't all that great. To no, be but it was it was fun. You could right. you could you could you could read Secret Wars One because it was only twelve issues and there was no crossovers back in that time. Mm-hmm. Secret Wars 2, there was all these crossovers. You had to buy all these different books to the rest of the stories. And it was like I was young, and I bought into the whole thing. And it wasn't sure. that good. Story. It really was not good. So, Wow, cool, man. No, that's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift this over just to um, – just the uh, the movies and um, really the 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 video stores uh, that really that really shaped uh, things for uh, for us or at least you know me and uh, my small circle of friends. But important movies in that period, you gotta you gotta figure. I, I, they pretty much all came out in either eighty five or eighty six in the theater. So mm-hmm. you had basically the Breakfast Club. Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, that's crazy. You, Those all came out during that time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy because the thing of it is, is that you think that uh, Pretty in Pink is a John Hughes movie, but he just he wrote it. He didn't direct it. Gotcha. So he, it's really just basically him directing, well, writing and directing Breakfast Club, and then the next year doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But I mean, again, this is a guy who you know, look, whether or not you like what he did. What he did was it was solely like his thing yeah. during this time period. It's like this is what he did, and um, that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive, you know. And it, and it definitely still uh, affects our our pop culture, not necessarily in all good ways, you know. And there's there's some there's some there's some really creepy uh, Me Too shit in uh, both Breakfast Club and. Um, uh, sixteen candles, which you know again was was a little bit earlier, but right, right, yeah. But anyways, um, aside from aside from that, it's just a stream of just really interesting stuff. Uh, you got uh, After Hours by Martin Scorsese, which is mm-hmm. this just like frantic anxiety nightmare, you know, basically mm-hmm. totally different from from everything he had done beforehand and he just did that like whipping camera thing just after that like in pretty much every single one of his movies which is amazing um return of the living dead uh was 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 a pretty was a pretty big deal not just because it was a it was a good funny uh zombie movie long before we all got bored by that but it had a great great punk rock soundtrack it was the cramps and the downed it was really good so so that was that was that was wonderful I have you seen that? I might have. It's been if I have. I, been a I while. know they did a bunch of uh, like sequels to the Living Dead because I know the original, oh, sure. and then there was a remake of Living Dead, and then there's like they yeah. there's a whole string after that. So absolutely, yeah, it's impossible to tell without looking really close to see exactly what you're getting. You know, right. it's really it's really odd. So, but that's definitely not the case with uh, Brazil. Uh, so the Terry Gilliam movie, which is perfect, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I um, I definitely I love it. I love it. I love the really down ending. I think it's amazing. Yep. Um, Blue Velvet, um, yep. which I, I I shouldn't have, but I saw in the theater 
um, in 86 when it came out. And um, I was not ready. I was simply not ready. 15, 16? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's crazy. crazy. Watch that. They should have they should have stopped me at the yeah. at the at the at the door. But it was up at like, you know, the uh, not the maybe the North Park, maybe the North Park, maybe the Amherst. Either way, um, they weren't they weren't keeping kids out, and uh, it was it was you know absolutely amazing, but you know terrifying in a deep deep way, you know. Yeah. Um, River's Edge, uh, yeah. amazing movie. Uh, my definitely my favorite. Uh, Crispin Glover acting ever but um the main thing was that there was the creepy similarities between like the heads in the movie you know and the dead girl you know it was it was pretty it was it was pretty grim but you know it's a really well-made movie and you know you got dennis hopper and it's yeah it's great it's really good right um but uh but along with the horror stuff uh reanimator came out during that period yep. and that was another one just Classic. you know uh yeah just horror comedy you know vibe going there it was really 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 great the fly yeah. the cronenberg fly yep. came out that year yeah. which yep. you know again you know um you know we can we can go back and forth about the ending i have with many people but the whole process of of Jeff Goldblum falling apart is just oh, it's, it's, it's unparalleled. It's gross and it's great, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Aliens came out during this period. Best, which is the nuts. best, and they should have stopped there. They just oh my stopped god, there. totally. I mean, if if they did, it would have been like the most amazing, like one two punch yep. in movie history because right. it completely changes changes tax and becomes like this like crazy like action movie you know and it's just but it's still you know it's just as good in my opinion as the first one just as good so great so great a couple weird punk rock movies sid and nancy came out came out that year and as well as uh this thing that nobody knows about it was michael hutchins i think his only his only uh leading role it's in a movie called dogs in space of course, it's an Australian film, but it's basically I don't just think about. I've seen it. No, it's it's not great. You know, I mean, like honestly, like he's he's really good in it, surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's just playing this kind of like weird, drugged out punk rocker, and you know, it's it wasn't it wasn't a hard role, I don't think, to do. But but he's very charismatic. Was very charismatic, oh, and yeah. it really made the movie work. And just listening to Excess today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I I don't know what dialed that up, and for all of a sudden that came up, I was listening to him. Huh. But anyway, uh, really time to time to get into the the transition here between these were all movies that we saw in the theaters, or that you know some of us did at least. Video Factory was the the big video chain in Kenmore at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically, and the whole thing with like the VHS. Um, movies was that there were only so many of them that were that were put out at that point by the big studios, and that there were there were a lot that just kind of came with like you know a lot of just like really minor league you know trashy stuff, but also like just like some weird art movies and stuff too. You know the kind of things that you you wouldn't have you wouldn't have caught in the theater, you know, just, just because, you know, whatever they were, you know, available or not, but Dune 
is is one that I remember renting, and I remember it being prior to this whole time. And I know that's a big one for for you. Um, I'm a big Doom apologist. I, I love the... Dune. Um, I, it's imperfect. Um, it's a beautiful movie, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's absolutely imperfect, and uh, it's sure. basically David Lynch taking one step too too far out of his reach. So he reached for something, and oh, he yeah. couldn't quite get his hands around it. And uh, it's not totally his fault when you read about the history about it, but True. still beautiful, beautiful movie. I could watch that movie all day long. Oh, it's the visually, it's just yeah, visually, yeah, visually, amazing, yeah, oh, it's fantastic. Just, just turn the sound off and just actually keep the sound on. You just don't have to pay attention to it because <laughs> right. the sounds are weird. Yeah, and there's there's some there's some really there's some really interesting uh, musical stuff going on there. I still can't identify what the Brian Eno prophecy theme is actually, but you know, it's like one of those does this, this yeah, song. Toto. Oh, go figure. All right. Anyways, um, but but also another just incredibly beautiful film is uh, Rumblefish. Yep. That was that was that was a big one circulating in the uh, the Video Factory era. Uh, Rumblefish was a Francis Ford Coppola movie. It was based on a, a book by that same lady who wrote The Outsiders, and. But it's but it's not like a movie for like the way the Outsiders was you know like for for teenagers and stuff. Rumblefish is very very much like a film for adults. It's uh it's black and white. It's beautiful. Uh, it's you know um, Matt Dillon, Mickey Rourke at the height of his powers. Tom Waits is in it. It's amazing. It's really yeah. great. So um, if you haven't seen it, please do. It's really it's really good. Very special movie. Uh, Videodrome, the craziest fucking movie I think, perhaps at that point at least, I had ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen Videodrome. Oh boy, yeah, and it's. I I know I've seen it. I just don't think I've actually watched it. So, oh okay, yeah, no, um, do so. You know, I do so late at night, and uh, you know, no kids—that's for sure. And it because and it is—it's trippy as fuck. It's really good. It's really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, no, I love it. But I love Cronenberg, anyways. So. Yeah, Cronenberg's great. Um, yeah, yeah. But the Hunger was was big on video. That was the the vampire movie with uh, right, with uh, Bowie and Catherine Deneuve and that other pretty lady. Pretty um, lady. <laughs> uh obviously uh the thing uh and oh, escape yeah. from new york by uh by john carpenter um yep. again it's just they weren't they weren't really specific to it they were you know from like the early early 80s but uh those were just con constant rentals constant rentals you know for uh from video factory those were those were just great and the last one here something that most folks uh, haven't seen unless they were really coming up during this period uh, because it's not well known and it's not readily accessible. It's called Liquid Sky, and it is crazy. No, um, it's it's, it's 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 just basically like well, it's very it's very very hard to describe. And uh, frankly, I'm I'm not going to try because <laughs> you know it's like if if I if I gave you some idea of it, really, it wouldn't match up with what you get. You know, I think it's one of those movies that basically just like when we rented it had no idea what it was and then popped that sucker in. And it was like, you know, um, even more so than Videodrome. It was a real 
derangement of the senses, you know? So, yeah, totally. But, um, and that's where we got all the punk rock movies because it wasn't like they were playing at the, uh, the, you know, place down the street, you know, it was uh, repo man, which is just, just a great movie. If, you know, I mean, not even like as a punk rock movie, just a great movie. Fun movie. Uh, Oh, totally. Yeah. And the decline of Western civilization, which is amazing. Just like more of that, like LA punk suburbia, you know, it's the same thing. I think, Mm. you know, like maybe it was just like the movies was why we got so stuck on, you know, California punk rock and California hardcore was because of like those, those movies that really, that really did that, you know? Um, but either way, you know, it's like, I still feel that way though. I I love Cali punk. I love that shit. And, um, you know, New York hardcore never did a single thing for me. Oh, (laughs) honestly, did not dig it at all. So, yes. Um, but anyway, and uh, uh, just just wrapping up here, it's like uh, then it was like the the old, as in like late seventies, early eighties punk rock movies. Uh, DOA, which is the one where you know Sid Vicious is so smacked out that he keeps falling asleep during the interview with Nancy. Yep. It's pretty grim. And Rock and Roll Swindle, which right. is what it is. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's it's definitely one of those movies. So, all right. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these movies, obviously, I saw much later. You know, oh, sure. like, I, I probably saw them in the '90s because I mean, I was probably too young to watch those when they came out. So, oh, I, yeah. I rent, most of those were rented too. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. was was that was that uh, still a big deal at that time? You know, oh renting yeah, movies, yeah, VHS? renting movies. Yeah, we're all yeah. this stuff. You know, especially VHS for the longest time. I mean, uh, DVDs didn't come out what until like maybe late '90s. So, yeah. Okay. And that was really, that was really the death knell for, for, yeah. uh, for videos, you know? Yeah. And but, things got, things got totally changed after that, you know, and oh, obviously yeah. streaming's totally changed yeah. completely. Oh, like, yeah, no, that absolutely. And that, that did all, you know, just kind of like, uh, brought everything down to a certain level, you know, just amazing. Yeah. But, but anyway, we're going to finish up this podcast with a discussion of Ken Moore's local bands of mm-hmm. note. Mark Freeland also went to Kenmore West, just like me and just like Aaron. Uh, we touched on him a bit in, uh, in episode two because he was Kathy Harold's guitar teacher. He was also basically what was referred to more or less as like the town rock star. And it seems as if that's how he was, he was perceived. Um, although he started making visual art exclusively later on right. and, some of it's pretty great. I actually like a lot of his visual stuff better than the music, but um, but people were were local folks were just crazy about uh, about his music. Um, he he wrote and recorded uh, Kathy's song in 1986 after she had she had uh, been murdered, um, and it's it's very it's very touching, very touching, uh, very touching piece of music. But basically, that was that was long after he had proceeded through like progressive rock, this band Pegasus, mm-hmm. which was big in Buffalo in the seventies. And you know, you listen to it, and it's, it's honestly for progressive rock, it's it's pretty good, man. I mean, you know, it's like it's definitely if you're into that kind of stuff. But but he did he did a lot of different things. He was into um, he had a punk band, the Femmes, mm-hmm. who had a classic classic song with uh, "Go to a Party and Act Like an Asshole." That's mm-hmm. just that's just great, and and finally into um, 
uh, like this electro rap and kind of like the the Bowie-esque balladry of like right. Kathy's song. And that was all under the name of Electro Man, who I, right. I think was him and a, a couple couple other local folks that he played with frequently. Kent Weber and um, David Kane, I believe. Right. I hope yep. I'm not, not necessarily. I'm pretty sure you're right on that. Yeah. Yep. Right now, so, but he was he was the big he was the big uh, the big force all the way through. I bored her to tears with all of my years, but she was much braver than me. Went to places I would never go and saw things I could never see. I said, let me take you away from all this Like a guy in a movie would do But it went right past her like a fly in the air And she looked at the clock and she snapped the gun And I knew that she did not care had a big uh, garage rock influence. And I, I don't know, I don't know where that came from. It could have been from Rochester. But uh, the, the main things that were, that, were, that were happening at that point that folks were listening to would be the Nuggets compilation, all the Pebbles compilations, you know, the many, many, many volumes. And I think maybe, maybe that explains a little bit of it. Those were, those were coming out on reissue quite a bit during the mid-'80s. Um, the Bands of Liars, Chesterfield Kings, the cynics, what that all pretty much ended up boiling down to the biggest Kenmore bands that existed were the Splat Cats, um, and they were they were a little bit they were a little little bit older. I think they were more like like um, like college age when we were in high school, and uh, they had a, an EP called uh, Five Big Ones, which was which was very um, garage influenced, but. Really good lyrics. Really good lyrics. Cool.
And then you last smell of the road Well everything will be okay Cause it's always been this way And this little new to say today On the team scene, on the team scene, yeah But your t-shirt's striped and your stripes turn tight And you just know that's not just real So you get your dad's car and your brother's chef's car And of course, a rubber too But there's just one thing you wanna do And your hopes you want to She's really drunk and her brows undone And you're gonna get all your hope too But then your song falls through the floor And she laughs so hard she fell out the door Well at least you weren't for tonight On the teen scene, on the teen scene Well I heard what you said You said you made it and she gave you head When really all you got Was a new world version two socks And another adolescent rock inside and uh, the other is the Ramrods. Uh, the Ramrods came out with an EP called Jivin' and Twistin'. They were our age. Um, we, you know, we knew them. You know, hung out with them occasionally. Whatever. The greatest local show that I ever saw was was the Ramrods. They uh, they played this. This would have been um, this would have been that year. Because this this was 1985 and 86 were really their big years as well um, as a band, I believe. But they played uh, they played in my friend Don Kinsey's living room. Mm. Uh, his parents obviously had gone gone away somewhere, and um, basically they were like right there in the living room. There's kids everywhere. The lighting's like totally ineffective because you know you get that many people in a living room and you know it's already super dark the band members are standing on furniture you know what i mean like like kind of like balancing on like you know cushions and shit you know it's just amazing it right, was it right. was uh it was just like um that whole thing of just music by teenagers for teenagers <laughs> it was it was it was great you know it was really right. it was really wonderful it was like that was like something that i never really saw again so you know like when when i say this stuff i mean honestly i really mean it
after seeing that, um, you know, a big light bulb goes off in my head, and I'm sure a lot of the kids who are there, like, you know, I can do this too. And uh, and I talked to Don Kinsey, uh, whose party it was, and he played bass, and I was like, uh, that was the beginning of getting guys together, and we formed our own terrible hardcore band called Suburban <laughs> Trash. Um, that name was easily the best thing about us. Uh, it was just, uh, we were, we were awful. We were awful, but, <laughs> but everybody was awful at first. That's the thing. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't get me wrong. I don't regret it at all. You know, my man, did you have any, any local bands that really, that really, you know, kind of kicked you in the teeth or anything or, you know, um, not as much. You guys had kind of a heyday. We did have some bands that came around and that, but nobody that like stuck it out that's the thing like they they would be around for a bit and then they just disappeared so Mm -hmm. even when you thought oh that'd be a cool that's a cool band and then like then you'd never hear anything from them again so and you know and back then too was really difficult to track down all this stuff like Mm -hmm. you know most of it centered around the schools like you know buffalo state college and um and ub and stuff like that so you that's where you see most of the shows um, or maybe there were some clubs, but there wasn't a lot, you know, um, and, and obviously you couldn't go to a, a, you know, a bar club because you couldn't get in because right. you were underage. So all that yeah. stuff took me a long time to get into because you just weren't age enough, you know, and there were some all ages shows like at, uh, like Buff State, I remember and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but nothing sure. that bands that stuck with me over the years, right. you know, but it was like. It's it just one of those things that you literally had to go searching for that stuff. Like, where's the bands? Like, I think you guys had like a heyday of like some some bands that were you know at least uh, were out there pushing their 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 product out there. Oh sure, oh sure, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. That's that's the thing is like when you've got bands that are actually making records. That you know, true enough. I mean, that there's there's definitely like a little bit at least of some sort of. Uh, I don't want to say a scene around them, but um, a mechanism just for, you know, for, for playing shows and things like that, you know, and they, they play like, you know, again, like just like the, the local places and it'd be like Buffalo seminary and, you know, like uh, Mount St. Mary's or whatever, you know, it's just, you know, wherever you, wherever you could play, you know, they, they, you, they would, there was a, there was a place on hurdle uh, for a while called Mr. Groucho's that was all ages and um we uh we played there a couple of times okay. and uh yeah it was it was it was fun but terrifying you know as you might imagine so yeah, yeah. i remember there's an all age show i went on elmwood avenue and it was some bar i don't even know if it was really all age but they let us in for some reason <laughs> and right. uh it, you know we just went mostly just i mean it wasn't even about the music just seeing friends and meeting girls so that was basically it so well, right on yeah so- <laughs> no, basically, basically the you know the same thing that you're that you're there for you know like you know <laughs> when a band is there too anyway so that you know it kind of doesn't matter so one way or the other you know you had a good time but yeah when did you when did you start playing out Aaron uh, nine it was after high school so it mm-hmm. was probably like ninety four ninety five. Mm-hmm. around that time and you know we it was a lot of stops and starts for us you know the band you know we we got ourselves together and then we'd lose a member <laughs> it was like it was awful 
it was uh-huh. uh and then uh when i really got into it um was the early 2000s that's when i really like pushed real hard and we had a band that played you know pretty regularly like uh every three to two times a month we'd be out there playing basically almost every other weekend we'd be playing out a show so mm. uh, and playing clubs and bars so yeah it was a lot of fun you know i mean i was like late 20s just hitting my 30s it was a lot of fun but then mm-hmm. it was just like also um it's a lot of drama a lot of um uh you know just hard work honestly for for no money oh and yeah like, and, and people just like somewhat interested in what you're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know absolutely so, so no, that was no, that, and that was that was what really bummed you out after a while. It's like I, you could deal with the no money, but if some people are like, I really like, I we had a couple people that really kept on going to our shows and liked our stuff, but it, it was like a handful of people. So uh, it was just you know, it's just like you, you just you have to be really like probably going on like the road to really show your stuff, you know, mm-hmm. for a while. no, no, absolutely, and even then, you know, because that's what we did and. Still didn't happen, you know what I mean? Music and voice credits in order of appearance. Return to Snakeland by Topaz was provided courtesy of Topaz. Kaylee Havernick kindly provided the voice of DJ Sarah Flynn. The Kathy song by Electro Man was provided courtesy of the Mark Freeland Estate. Teen Scene and The Nightcrawler by the Splat Cats were provided courtesy of the Splat Cats. Metamorphosis by the Ramrods was provided courtesy of the Ramrods. The Return to Snakeland podcast was created by Aaron O'Brien and Jason Gussman. If you have any information as to the 1985 murder of Kathy Harold, please contact us at our email address, returntosnakeland at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have an interest in further historic materials from the period or information on the Return to Snakeland graphic novel, please come see us at returntosnakeland.com. If you would like to contribute in order to ensure the future of this podcast, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com front slash returntosnakeland. Thanks for everything. See you next time.